Future Hacker Life Path Future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Future Hacker. I'm your host, Maria Taigi, and today we are talking to Andrei Sperigion. Andrei is a hands-on multifaceted designer working with emerging technologies and innovation. Since 2006, he has been designing and leading teams to create interactive physical digital experiences encompassing tangible interfaces, Internet of Things, VR, and real-time CG. Recently, he has developed multisensorial immersive VR experiences and spatial computing tools for simultaneous remote collaboration. Andrei has been on the Brazilian channel for Future Hacker last year, in our very beginning, so it's really great to have him back to expand the reach to international waters as well. Welcome back, Andrei. How are you doing today? Hi, Maria. It's such a pleasure to be with you today. Great to, to come back now in the Global Edition, and I hope we have a nice conversation. Listen, I, I have to share that with our listeners. So basically, you know, for now, our podcast is audio only, so you cannot see us. I can't see him. And I have to tell you, where he's standing right now is so cool. Like, he, he he's in the studio. He has all the gears, you know, stuff that he built himself. He has a, a, a 3D printing machine. He has, can you just tell us, Andre, everything that is out there? <laughs> it's so cool. You have this, this simulator for you're using for games, like a car simulator, a flight simulator. You have this, this robot that draws. That, that's so cool, guys. It's too bad that you can see that. Yeah, this is my, let's say, my natural habitat here, especially during the, the pandemic. So I've been creating a, a small lab here at home. And I have a 3D printer for making stuff because since 2012, I've been doing this almost daily, 3D printing stuff. And a small electronics lab and this simulator, which I've been working because I love driving and I love piloting. Even though I don't pilot airplanes, I love fantasizing about flying planes. So I created this, this simulator and it has more than the, the, the driving wheel or the yoke. It has um, a few aptic transducers. So how to create more immersion? So we, we need to look to our senses and not only by looking visually in the hearing, but we need to think about how our bodies connect to the world around us. So to create a great simulation, you need to, to pay attention to small details that we don't notice them on, on a daily basis. So the vibration on the engine of the car or the vibration on the suspension, the wheels interaction with the ground, or even if you are flying a plane, the flaps engaging or the landing gear opening or closing. So these are the small details that makes up for, for great simulations to, to be present in another place, especially in pandemic. So creating this stuff to be anywhere from home. So this is something that captivates me. This is what I've been doing for the past years. So you're an inventor, right? So that's so cool, guys. So you have to add that when you, you send people your, your bio, you know, you are an inventor, a creator. So as you can see, he's a future hacker. I know that my partner and, and the Brazilian host of Future Hacker, he mentions that like he's a true future hacker. He's been working in fields ahead of our time, right? Always towards future technologies. So... You know, I'd love if you could share about your journey. Like, what do you think in your life 
you know, made you be this person you are today? Have you always been curious? Is it the way you were raised? Something about your family? Something about the DNA? Or somebody you met along the way? A school? A teacher? What do you give to be like that? Or you think that you're just born this way? I'm definitely a mixture between my parents. So my mother is a, is a designer, industrial designer, and my father is a mechanical engineer. And more than that, they were, they've been always inventing stuff at home. So in a small apartment, creating machines, my parents did a little bit of jewelry in the 90s, and then they gone to make miniatures. So I've developed a passion for detail and, and looking for processes based on machines and creativity that at the same time you, you can see tangibly in your hands. So uh, for me, it was very special to be in an environment and discussing creativity and hands-on at the same time. And then I went to study computer graphics. I was a very nerdy guy. And with uh, other friends in school, we started studying 3D because why not, 13 years old. And then I started doing 3D and I started freelancing. And then uh, I, I went to small agencies. And at the same time, I entered university at Universidade de São Paulo, at FAO, which is an architecture university here in São Paulo. But my course was design. So it was a new course there. But having this course inside of uh, an architecture and urbanism university was really special because more than, than looking to the objects themselves or the artifacts, we were trained to look at the layers and scales around the, the human being. So every semester we had a different theme, for instance, the living place. So looking solutions for home or solutions for work or solutions for mobility or even solutions for architecture. So we had architecture classes. And at this time I was working at agencies here in Sao Paulo. And then I started bringing this physical point of view to what I was doing there. I started creating this physical digital project. So it was a, it was a mixture between the very high-paced advertising environment that involved a lot of technology because at Flag CX and Kubo CC here in Brazil, it was very tech-oriented, digital agencies. But I, I tried to bring up this physical layer to things and I created a small team and we did special projects involving IoT and stuff. After that, I went to a design consultancy and then I went to Arvory, which was my, my last experience, working more specialized in VR. So for me, it was like my, my background was physical and then it became digital. And from certain point, it all mixed her together. It was really interesting to see how we feel sometimes that we go in, in circles, but it is not a circle. In fact, it's a, it's a more of an elix shape, right? Because time passes and you're not in the same place, but you, you may end up using slightly different techniques, but with a more mature point of view and uh, in a different context, right? So the environment changes too. It's really interesting for us to understand that we not always fall in the same place, even though we use the same techniques. So as most people working with technologies that are not commonly adopted yet, you know, working with, with innovation, which have been the main challenges that you've been facing in your work? I think that the main challenge is to make sure that you don't have answers for, for the questions. You may have a lots of technological and technical problems, right? So Google is my best friend always because 
when implementing new technology, you need to find out the other pioneers all around the globe. And for me, since the computer graphics time back then in my teenagers, it was the same. So finding forums and place for, for us to discuss. And I think that the, this way of tackling problems, dividing our questions and helping other people was fundamental for me. Because at the same time, you're helping someone, you're learning it better yourself. But I think that there is also this, this idea of also having access to technology, right? Not only you, you need to, to have access to information, but when we go more into the physical part of technologies, we, you need to have access. So I think it was fundamental for me to be in contact with people that value that and invested onto technology. So my first contact with a 3D printer was at the Kubo CC Flag CX, and Roberto Martini bought a 3D printer and simply, okay, here's a 3D printer. He put it on the, on the table in the computer graphics department at the company. So I started fiddling with the technology. So not only having access to knowledge, having access to the tools themselves, and having possibility to explore that. So for me, I think these are the, the three pillars of appropriating new technologies and understanding them from inside out to use them as means to solve problems. So for me, this the design approach, which I believe in, which is you have to have a human sensibility, but at the same time, you need to understand that technology is something created by humans and technology creates possibilities, but it should not be treated as a black box. We should dive into a 3D printer and know that there's a lot of robotics involved. There's a lot of common parts that are shared with other things. So they are not black boxes. Someone did not simply invented a 3D printer out of nothing. So there, there is also this, the patent structure that was, it was created. And this, this rising of 3D printing and digital fabrication was also a consequence of patents expiring. So when, when this kind of 3D printing patent expired, people started doing them open source and this unleashed this new age of 3D printing. So we need to understand this social context too. Yes, yes, definitely. And, you know, still thinking about the adoption of innovations in immersive technology. So which do you find, you know, which industries or maybe sectors or even countries that you think will be ahead of the game. So meaning that they are ready, they already have the vision, they're already investing uh, maybe more than others. What's your thought on that? Okay, so I think that obviously uh, the US is very strong on immersive content and of course China is too. So there are a few players that we are beginning to, to get to know. Of course, there, there is HEC with Vive. There is now Pico, which is a new player in China. But US, you have Meta now with Facebook, which was Oculus previously. In Europe, there is a pool of companies too. So for me, it was very interesting to get to know that in Finland, there are companies that are working both creating device hardware, which is Vario, which is one of the best VR headsets today, and also other companies involved in creation of uh, immersive content too. And of course, you have this entertainment industry, you see, Meta is very oriented to immersive content with Oculus and this connection to Facebook. So now we are starting to see the differentiation between the, all this business, even though all of them touch point 
immersive at some point. But you can see examples in other industries too. So apart from creating the, the devices or creating the entertainment X system, you have, for instance, KLM from Netherlands that has a dedicated team for training using VR. So instead of picking a plane and holding it into a hangar and, and doing training or having a, a, let's say, fake plane for training of crew, not, not the flying itself from as far as I know, you, you can simply have them using headsets and understanding and training their muscular memory. Of course, I, I've seen a paper from the, the company, the, the Finnish company, as I told Vario, which told that the training for critical, mission critical in VR is still has a lot of evolving to happen. So there is a kind of a problem on trying to use, for instance, for, for combat uh, trainings, which have a very sensible muscular training. So VR is not up to the point of being 100% fidel to the, to the actual thing. But for other things that are more contextual, let's say they are more psychologically oriented simulation, it has been very interesting and, and they've been using. And of course, the prototyping using VR is something that is very broadly adopted around the world. For instance, the auto industry uses it a lot. And for instance, Volvo has been very present on XR events around the globe. So they have a, a dedicated department for that, for simulation. But I've seen examples for other companies too, because a few years ago, companies would invest a lot of money on 3D printing real-sized cars or more expensive clay models to create the, the shape of the car or simulate other, other situations. But it's cheaper now to, to make VR and it's more widely available. And more than that, not only working locally in a studio, but having, having headsets make it easier to collaborate around the globe. So having this, let's say, holodex that makes it possible for people from different countries. So if a project's gonna be uh, enrolled globally, you need to have opinions and collaboration from different offices around the globe. So even though you could make lots of real-sized physical prototypes, it would not be the same because you, you could not comment and annotate over the same prototype, but having VR makes it possible. And of course, you can have hybrid models. You can have a part of a, of a prototype which is physical, but at the same time, you can have a digital layer over that by using XR and having comments. So I think it, it adds up new layers. And of course, we have games also as a way for imagining futures. So besides the entertainment itself, games are a spectacular way to develop language. So it's not simply picking up a, a newspaper, a printed newspaper and putting it on a screen. This is not digital design. This is not digital content. What we are understanding is that VR is more about the body and the presence of the whole body than the visual image. Of course, visual image plays a great role on the perception, but it's more important to perhaps have a, a less realistic, let's say, visual effect on something, but have body presence and feel that your body, your whole body is present into the experience rather than having a very realistic setup, but having no body agency. Right. So games make this happen because we are more used to incorporate real life dynamics into VR that are body intensive. 
And of course, you end up creating interactions that serve as, as patterns, design patterns that may be used for the other applications too. So let's keep the topic on the VR, okay? You mentioned a couple of times about the headsets, but you know, as much of the headsets, they're, they, they're way more affordable than a couple of years ago. And you actually mentioned in the Brazilian interview how they get quickly sold out when there's something new launched. How far are we to having a more body natural a wearable solution? I've been talking to specialists and, and it was told that the headset's still an impediment like for a, a longer term experience, even when you're talking about gaming, in which is commonly used and we are more used to people after a couple of minutes, they just feel like the, the need of getting out and, and checking out the space and things like that. So, you know, are you following up on those advancements and how far do you think we are from getting a type of solution that is, feels more natural to us? Yes, the device has have been shrinking in size, but there is for VR, and, and now I think we need to divide into what it is VR and what it is mixed reality or augmented reality, right? So when talking about virtual reality, we're simply bypassing our connection to the real environment, the real context around us and, and changing it, switching it to a, a virtual sense simulation. In mixed reality, we are working with the actual environment and putting another layer and this these objects interact with the, the environment around. So in mixed reality, the devices have been shrinking a lot in size. So now, for instance, Magic Leap has just released a, and shown a new device, which looks pretty much like a glass. It's very compact. And uh, it seems really, really comfortable. The, their first version was already pretty comfortable because the optics involved, even though they are they, they have no big field of view. So you see a small square in front of you instead of having a very wide vision of these virtual objects. So there's a little window in, in your front, but the, the optics allow for a smaller footprint, right? In VR, when you are simply changing the whole environment, you need to put a screen in your front. And the, the pixel density for this screen has been uh, the biggest challenge up to now. So for instance, Vario has the best uh, resolution. They, they seem to have achieved the retina-like density for, for VR, but there is a physical constraint for all of the things, right? So you need to have a screen and there is a combination between what is the maximum density of pixels per millimeter that you can put versus your actual eye size. So you need to, to take into account that there is a focusing point of for our eyes, the evolution of the lenses that are being used. So I think that VR is still bulky, it's bulkier, right? But perhaps you can, if we can have much, much, much more dense screen CCDs or LCDs, then we can have a, a smaller footprint. But mixed reality works in a different way. It's a screen in the front of your eyes that injects lights to create objects on your front. So apart from the, the booker size, the, there was a recent evolution for devices, which was turning them into cordless devices. So Oculus Quest 2 was the most recent launch from Meta. And it brought really good resolution device, a lightweight device and a cordless device in the same and for a reasonable price. So this was their strategy for increasing the adoption because 
if Meta is oriented for a big public and it is a social company, then you need to have a, a wider adoption. So it was not projected to be a niche device. But at the same time, it is cordless. It's more becoming like a mobile cell phone that you use as a, as a VR headset rather than using a very strong desktop PC with a cord attached that would provide a better graphic and infinite running time. It's a more or less like a comparison between a computer, a desktop computer, and a smartphone. So we are exchanging mobility for the, the power of processing and so on. So I think that, for instance, Magic Leap lowers the amount of weight on your head by having a, an attached device, a cord that you put in your pocket. So there are several strategies to make it more comfortable. And I think in the end, the, the optical part is still a very very impactful factor on this on, on this issue got it thank you so much andre and you know i still have tons of questions for you uh we're getting to the end of the first episode stay tuned everybody we still have a lot of interesting topics to cover just go to the second episode with andre Sperigel. see you there future hacker life path future